one three in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. As they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city, they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
We're going to take a look at that passage from Acts in just a moment. One, I pray for us as we begin. My name is Paul. If you, uh, if we haven't met, it's nice to be with you, uh, whether here or online. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, we might see you afresh this morning, uh, perhaps even see you for the first time this morning, we pray. Amen. Um, We're going to look at this uh, bit, the next part of our um, uh, working through the book of Acts, this part of it, Um, and I wonder if you have come across the phrase, cancel culture. Have you come across the idea or the phrase or the age of cancel culture that we are in? Um, It's a phrase that gets used quite a bit. It doesn't take too much if you uh, want to kind of, uh, if you search for it, and you'll see lots of different articles um, on news outlets that that talk about it. A, A selection of headlines um, here, pretty random ones, just some of the research into how well people know about cancel culture or sort of the emotions that it creates. And then often uh, you get stories about individuals and how they have uh, been treated by what they would call cancel culture. Now, just for 20 seconds with somebody nearby, I wonder, have you heard of it? Do you know what uh, on earth I'm talking about? You may not. That's okay if you haven't. Um, have you come across the phrase, what does it mean to you, cancel culture? It gets talked about quite a bit. 20 seconds just with somebody nearby, and you can be completely dumbfounded. That's okay as well. So a good amount of conversation there. Uh, it might be that some of you have heard of it. Uh, it may be that you haven't. Maybe you've got some story. Oh, yes, I read something about uh, this particular situation. Cancel culture is the idea. It's a phrase that gets used to talk about the idea that certain ideas, certain uh, concepts, certain thoughts should um, not be discussed. They should be kind of closed off. The idea that certain things should be uh, shunned or shut down or even people who should be ostracized for certain ways of thinking or however it might be or certain uh, things in the kind of cultural world that we are. The idea that those things shouldn't happen and shouldn't be there. That's the kind of idea. Maybe that resonates with you. Maybe you've seen stories of that. And when you look and you sort of, uh, when researching this, it sort of says it's a kind of contemporary idea. But I wonder if Luke writing Acts uh, would say, well, actually, it goes back quite a way. And that there is, if you like, a first century cancel culture, which Paul and his companions encountered when they uh, were in, uh, uh, in Europe and, and traveling and trying to explain the message. The message of Jesus, excuse me, the message of Jesus to people, um, and that they experienced that same idea that certain things were to be shut down, ostracized, cut off, closed off. Two locations that we have here um, Thessalonica and Berea, and two slightly different experiences. And Paul, uh, Luke is trying to sort of show us a contrast. Um, in what happens in the two different places, the reactions that Sarah talked about. Um, And if you imagine for a moment location one, Thessalonica, the first place they went to, um, and the story that that they find there um, is one where what Paul does, as his custom is, wherever he goes, the first place he goes to is where the Jewish believers would be and normally the synagogue And he's able to do that here. You see at the very start of chapter 17 where they met, they passed through and there was a Jewish synagogue there. So he went and what his custom was, was to go to Jewish believers and to explain to them about Jesus as the Messiah. Now the Jewish believers would have had an understanding, very ready understanding, of of there being a Messiah. Uh, Their scriptures would have told them there was a Messiah, uh, a rescuer, a saviour. 
But what they couldn't grasp and understand was the idea that Jesus of Nazareth, that person, could be this Messiah. So they had the concept and the idea, but they couldn't equate that with this person of Jesus. Why was that? Well, first and foremost, above all, Jesus had died. And their expectation about the Messiah and what the Messiah would be like was not somebody who died. And can you see when uh, Paul went there, what he actually says is he, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead, that he had to die and rise. He's as if he's saying to them, look, uh, I'm going to show you from your own scriptures, from your own important texts, that this person of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who died and rose again, is the very Messiah that you are looking for. And he meets with um, some success. Uh, some are persuaded. Some are open to this. Um, uh, some um, God-fearing Greeks, um, uh, some Jews, some God-fearing Greeks, and quite a few prominent women. And we get those phrases come back a bit later on. So he has some success and some openness, but there is an overwhelming sort of reaction to it with opposition and resistance and a kind of closedness to his message. Um, and you'll see it because uh, so much so, um, who would have predicted it, but a riot occurs, and then they, uh, uh, they have to kind of get out late at night um, and escape, and that's when they go to location two, which is Berea. So we're saying down the road, uh, they, they make their way out to there, and then he does the same thing again. So he's setting, Luke is setting up a contrast. Same thing again. He goes to the synagogue. Here, uh, he talks with the Jewish uh, believers, first of all, and he explains to them the same message about the Messiah and about Jesus. And here he meets with quite a lot of interest in the gospel, quite a lot of openness uh, to who Jesus is. And they are responsive to it. So can you see what Luke is doing? He's got these two places and a contrast, defensiveness, opposition on the one hand in Thessalonica, and openness, uh, a kind of considered, I'll hear you out-ness in Berea in location two. Now, even where he has success uh, in Berea and they, they are open, that doesn't stop some folk from location one in Thessalonica traveling all the way over to Berea themselves to stir up trouble and cause them difficulty and to bring that opposition that they had over here. And it's even interesting if you think about it, they weren't content over here to say, Paul, we want you cancelled from our city. It was important to them enough to say, Paul, you need to be cancelled from all cities. It's not enough just that we want you shut out of here. We need you shut out of everywhere. And so they travelled and made this, uh, uh, kind of stirred up this opposition over in Berea as well. And what Luke, I think, is trying to do with this, this uh, opposition, this kind of uh, contrast, is show us, um, it's really the theme of where we are in Acts at the moment. Jack um, uh, sort of introduced us to it last week, that the gospel has power. It has power. It goes into places, into cultures. It transforms those cultures. But the kind of power it has is also disruptive and challenging. And so it meets with opposition. It's unsettling to people. And so they're not always all happy about it. And I think that can help us. It can help us um, uh, if we to, to get our expectations right and what we think 
uh, the gospel being shared with others, uh, what the impact of that will be, that it will be both of those things. There'll be a closeness in some places and openness in others. It can help us with our expectations, perhaps particularly if we are Christians ourselves. But I think also Luke is asking quite a deep question of us. What does it mean to give Christianity a fair hearing? What does it mean to give Christianity a fair hearing? When uh, is someone willing to be open to the gospel? How do you know if you are giving Christianity a fair hearing? Particularly perhaps if you're not a believer this morning, how would you know? Are you open to hearing what Christianity has to say? Or are there other things that are going on in you that mean you're not? We're going to have a look at that with these two uh, different places. So let's um, uh, take them uh, one by one and we'll see what goes on. um, And we'll see what Luke is kind of trying to draw out. And in Thessalonica, I think perhaps first and foremost is the threat of Christianity. The threat of Christianity. And let me read um, verses 5 to 9. So we've heard some of the success that they've had. Some are persuaded. But other Jews, he says, were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house. We don't know too much about Jason. Um, in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world uh, and have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house. Uh, Jason's probably feeling a little, you know, uh, focused on at that point. Um, and uh, they're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crown of the city officials were thrown into turmoil and then they put Jason and the others on bail um, and let them go. Now, what it says at the start there is that the other Jews were jealous of what was going on. So jealous of Paul's success uh, in persuading some. Now, it's not a strange emotion to register. Why would you be jealous that someone else's religion was having a moment in the sun? Why would you be jealous of that? What is going on there? What, why? It's worth following the emotion in your mind. What is going on to make them jealous? What are they jealous of? There's something that they feel they are in danger of losing. Something that they feel that they are about to lose out on. And it makes them defensive uh, against Christianity. It threatens them. Now, to help unpack that a little bit, it's worth knowing. So we're told that those who were persuaded... Um, some of the Jews, some God-fearing Greeks, and quite a few prominent women. Now, scholars, um, archaeologists um, will tell you there's evidence that um, amongst the wealthy women of the day, and we met one of them last week, uh, Lydia, do you remember? Uh, Amongst the wealthy women of the day, uh, a number, when they were um, drawn to Judaism, they were often then, they would use their resources and their wealth to become patrons of the synagogues. So if you were a wealthy woman in those days, you had means and you were, you were drawn, attracted to Judaism, you would then support, give your resources to enable the work of uh, the synagogues to take place. Now, if you can see, if when some of those women became Christians and they began to transfer some of their resources and their wealth and their support to the Christian churches, now what's the impact for you if you're one of the Jewish believers at that point. 
Can you start to see, actually, suddenly it has an impact on what is happening. Suddenly Christianity is more of a threat as you see money, position, power, resources start to drain away from what you are doing and be transferred somewhere else. So there's a threat uh, in what happens. Uh, for them. And then notice what they do in that. So uh, they go and they uh, find this guy, uh, Jason, they bring him out and there's a sort of riot and a mob, and, but they go and find the city officials. So they turn this into a political situation. They go and find the city officials, they drag them there and they say these men are causing trouble all over the world, now they've come here. And they add, they're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there's this other king called Jesus. Now the Jewish people at the time They've got no great love for Roman colonizers, really. They've got no great love for the, for the sort of imperial Rome and the things that they've done. But can you see actually where they suddenly feel that there is a threat to them? They say, well, what we need to do is we need to transfer that threat to you. Because you Romans, you need to know that they're defying Caesar. He's going to be this other king. We need you to feel this same sense of threats that we feel. We need you to feel this same sense of um, uh, kind of antagonism. So can you see they're trying to widen the circle of their opposition uh, to Jesus. He's a rival king. Uh, he's coming against you as well. So I want you to just see that there's, there's more to this perhaps than just meets the eye. Why exactly would you be so uh, antagonized by what is happening? Actually, there's things going on uh, that are deeper than that. But it brings us to Berea, because they make their way out, having experienced this opposition, they go to Berea, and suddenly at Berea, Luke wants to show us something different. Here is the possibility of Christianity. If uh, there was a threat in Thessalonica, here is the possibility of Christianity. So um, big, the story picks up at verse 10. As soon as it was night, uh, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Same thing again, they find the Jewish believers. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Now again, he does the same thing, so he goes, he's had, um, he, uh, we see the same sort of people are persuaded, um, but it's really interesting, if you, if you come across this idea, and this might, I appreciate it might not be everyone, often um, uh, Christians are told uh, to be like Bereans. Um, if you ever come across that idea, don't worry if you haven't, but sometimes Christians are told, be like Bereans. Now why is that? Because the Bereans examine the scriptures, which is a very good thing to do. And if you're a Christian, it is a very good thing to do. But it's worth noticing, because that sort of glides over the fact that actually the Bereans are unbelieving Jewish people. So actually to be like the Bereans is, is for unbelievers to be open to the message of the gospel. That's what it's really talking about uh, with the, the, the Bereans here. They are open to, be, to giving the gospel a fair hearing. Now they're not actually Christians themselves. Now some of them become Christians, but they are open to hearing. Now what is going on? They are willing to consider the message that Jesus brought to them. They're willing to say, okay, yes, we have a framework. We have a, this idea of a Messiah. Um, we know about that. And we're open to the possibility, Paul, you're telling us, that the person that we are looking for, which we never realized, is actually Jesus of Nazareth. 
It's literally saying to them, the, the framework that you've got, all the apparatus uh, is there. You know that you want to relate uh, to the living God. You know that you want uh, to know how to be right with him. You know that you want to know how can you know the peace of forgiveness. You know that there was a whole system uh, in Judaism, a sacrificial system that was set up. You know that you need all these things. You know that uh, you want to know that there is a security in this life and through death and out the other side. You know that you want all these things. And he's, he's saying to them, can you see? It is Jesus of Nazareth who has made all these things possible. Jesus of Nazareth, who came from the living God, the Father, who is God himself, who died and died himself a sacrifice that you might know the living God, you might be able to relate to him, you might be able to have forgiveness of your sins, forgiveness for all the things that you carry in your mind, all of those things, and a life beyond death, a peace in this life, and a security for the next all of them are found in the person of Jesus of Nazareth who died on a cross that we might know these things. All of those things you are looking for, all of those good things that you are looking for, they are open to the possibility that Jesus Christ is there. And they respond. And can, you can see actually how it begins to connect together. Their willingness to say, I wonder if Christianity, maybe, perhaps, could it be that what I'm looking for is found in Jesus Christ. Christianity is always both a threat and a possibility. Christianity is always both a threat and a possibility. As I say, that might help us in our expectations of just what it will be like to share Jesus with others, to see the gospel go out, to, to talk of him. We will encounter people for whom it is a threat and a possibility. Uh, and they may be in different situations but it means this too, that for those for whom it is a, a, a threat, our objections to Christianity are often, they often we think they are intellectual. We often think they're kind of abstract, we think they're ideas, concepts about who God is and, and so on. But actually, so often, our objections to Christianity are somewhere down in here in your gut. Our objections are much more about what is going on for you. What is that defensiveness? Defensiveness and openness. What is that defensiveness telling me? If you're somebody who kind of feels that, I, there are bits I don't like about Jesus. There are bits I don't like about Christianity. Follow that. What is going on in you, in your guts, that is saying, I, 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 I find this threatening? Because so often, you notice early, it was the position, it was the power that they were losing the sense of what they didn't have control over, my, my, uh, my, my status quo would have to change if I were to entertain who Jesus was. My relationships might have to change if I was to entertain who Jesus really is. My sense of power or who I am, even my finances might have to change if I was to entertain who Jesus is. Actually, the threat that we feel is somewhere down in here. It's not abstract, it's in our gut, and their, their loss their sense of what was, uh, they were losing and they were threatened by was deep in them and it stirred that resistance. And if that is you, I would, just, I would appeal to you to say, can you, even, can you follow that thought and that emotion? Where is it really going? The threats of Christianity. But what then can make you open to Christianity? 
like these Bereans, what actually is it that makes us open to, uh, to hearing about Jesus? So often it's a similar thing. It's down here. It's saying, what is it you and I are longing for and really looking for in life? What are the things that we, at our deepest level, we are searching for? Are we open to the possibility that they are in fact found in Jesus Christ? The meaning that I'm looking for in life. Uh, the reality of death that I know is coming, that actually I'm looking for something that will see me through. The reality of needing forgiveness, to want to be at peace in life, that I carry all of these things uh, from, my, uh, from the years before, and I want to know the peace of forgiveness. Might it be possible that it can be found in the person, the death and resurrection, the forgiving sacrifice of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Am I open to that possibility? Because that's that openness to say the things that I am looking for, that the meaning I'm trying to find, the way I'm trying to work my way through in life, actually I can find it in him that is the beginning of the Christian journey. And I would commend it to you. Jesus says, uh, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, look, I, we will pick this up in the, the song that we're about to sing. He has come to make a way. He says, I have made it possible for you to know the living God. I've made it possible for you to know who your heavenly Father is on this Father's Day. I've made it possible for you to know peace and forgiveness now in this life, ultimately in the next, through and beyond the death which awaits us all. And the possibility of Christianity is there and it is glorious. Might we know that this morning?